guys welcome back to talk shit with me yay please excuse my voice uh if you've listened to my latest episode you know i went skydiving so hence my voice being <clears throat> like this so hopefully y'all can hear and understand me properly but i have a very very interesting guest with me and i'd like to let her introduce herself so hey courtney tell my listeners a little bit about you yeah for sure so my name is courtney crewer i'm 27 years old i'm originally from edgewood kentucky which is about 10 minutes south of cincinnati ohio i moved to louisville kentucky for college and then i stayed there until 2017 when my job in sales at ge appliances moved me and my fiance michael to boston Do you like Boston? I do. It definitely took me a while to adjust, like just being away from friends and family and Boston people are a lot more outspoken than I'm used to. So it was definitely (laughs) an adjustment, but I do really like it here. I really do. I'm glad. So um, here's a fun fact. Me and Courtney have never met. Actually, I think today is the first time we're actually even speaking on the phone. But we connected through Prescom after episode, uh, what episode was that, seven, um, being black in corporate America, and you were very supportive, which um, I don't know if I've said thank you enough, but thank you. Yeah. I remember you even posted the link on your, uh, <clears throat> on your social media page, which was very awesome. And we started talking since then, and our support has been really amazing, like, up to date i see how much you've been posting about uh, black lives matter and injustice and police brutality and me as a black person i want to say from the bottom of my heart thank you for being an ally thank you for being supportive and another thing before i i I get too deep in this uh her brother as well this is a funny thing um i after my last episode with abby um, I remember you contacted me and you're like, yeah, my brother was down in that podcast, uh, protest as well. And we kind of connected Abby and your brother. I don't know if they ended up meeting for the last weekend uh, protesting. I'm hoping to hear back from them. But it's amazing how we are all getting connected through this. So Yeah, and it's awesome. Like, after I saw Priska post about your podcast and being Black in corporate America, like, So I got to work with Priska at one of my many jobs in college at the health promotion office at the University of Louisville. And I was just immediately intrigued by the podcast just due to the fact that Priska is an intelligent and beautiful boss, B-I-T-C-H, like such a good person. And also just like, I was so intrigued by the podcast just with my conversations with black friends and coworkers over the years, being that a lot of them are in corporate America with me. Um, But a lot of the topics she discussed are so important for white people to hear. So if any of my white friends end up listening to this, which I'm sure they will, I highly recommend listening to that podcast as well. Um, If you don't mind, I'll talk about real quick my favorite part of what she shared. Um, So, I truly did not understand what it was like to have hair pieces in a majority white environment until I had to wear a wig for a long time after I lost a lot of my hair in college. 
Um, she talked about that a lot and what that's like in corporate America and basically said, if you're not going to comp, if you're going to comment on someone's appearance, like you need to make sure it's a compliment and not just some weird statement or question. Like white girls at my high school particularly had a fascination with touching like classmates hair and just playing with it all in class because most of us were white. Um, but so many women grow up thinking that that's still okay. Like the amount of times white people just reached for my head in one year of me wearing a wig was honestly like absurd. Like, please do not touch my hair or me when I barely know you. And don't ask me why one day it looks this way and the next way it looks another, or don't ask me why it looks the same way every day. And just like if you want to acknowledge someone's hair just tell them it looks cute and just get on with your day like even with that experience like I still cannot imagine how you and a lot of my black friends deal with that their entire life and it was honestly exhausting <laughs> oh I'm very uh outspoken about that I would rather you compliment me and then if I give you more information like oh my god it's a wig or this is how I do it or just being curious in a cute way and asking it instead of just the smarky little comments about it. Yeah. Like, and they make it seem like it's only black people who wear wigs and shit, but right. thank you for saying like, you know? Yeah, it's like so true. Like, I didn't even know until a few years ago, like, I don't know if I want to have kids to be candid with you, but I didn't even know until a few years ago that a lot of people lose hair after they have babies. Cause like no one even talks about that. And it, of course, like that happens with white people, black people, Hispanic people, like exactly. just nobody talks about it, which is just weird to me. <laughs> <laughs> thank you for sharing that. And thank you for sharing my, my, my podcast as well. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm going to tell the world, well, not the world, technically the world, but whoever is listening to this podcast of mine, how, why you are my guest today. Um, you shared a very touching story uh, of your experience while protesting, and we both thought it was, uh, <clears throat> and, uh, we should shed light on it. Um, there's something you said, which was peaceful protests don't make for good news story. So on my platform, I want to be able to share not only the bad things, but also the good things, especially when our white allies stand up for us. I feel like that needs to be recognized. So why don't you share with everybody else that journey of yours and your experience with protesting and how it came about? Absolutely. So <coughs> I want to share my, pro my protest story, but I also want to give a small background for some of my white friends or coworkers who don't know this about me, about how I went from being in a previously super whitewashed life to now kind of where I feel very comfortable calling out injustices in America and microaggressions that white people say in this country, especially to our black friends. Um, keep in mind that I'm from Edgewood, Kentucky, where this is like 99% white people. Like, I kid you not, I'd, I went to school with like two black kids, which is crazy wow. to think about. Yeah, so the 99% white people, that's not a fact I pulled, but my mom still lives there and I still almost never see a black person there to this day. So it's a very sheltered place. Um, I'm not perfect at this by any means, but I have done a lot of work on myself in the last kind of decade, I guess, to change my perspective. And I'll honestly be the first to admit that the first time I heard the term white privilege as a kid, I was like, 
oh, that's not me. Like, I've been working since the age of 12 and I had my first W-2 at 14 and I worked my ass off all of high school and onward. And while a lot of my white friends just focused on their schoolwork and their friendships. And I was like, how can I be privileged when I didn't grow up super rich like some of my white friends? Like, it wasn't really until I researched white privilege towards the end of high school 10 years ago that I really realized that white privilege does not mean that your life was not hard. It means that your skin color wasn't one of the things making it harder. So I kind of want to talk about- people don't know about that. Right, which is honestly like people, and I was one of them. What was it like the first time I heard it, I was, 15 maybe when i heard the term white privilege and i felt defensive i'm like what do you mean i'm privileged like you don't even have a job and i have a job so like you're privileged and like it was just like a weird topic that if you don't know enough about it you feel defensive immediately which is and it's funny you say that because yesterday i had this experience for three hours we were shouting back and forth it was me and my other friend was black and our other friend was white and we were trying to explain to her what white privilege meant and her understanding was very different from like it took three hours for us constantly explaining wow. like we get it you also have issues but us just being black is already a bigger issue exactly like people don't get it they really don't um <laughs> So before I kind of talk about protests, I kind of want to talk about the main people in my life, maybe to kind of give people inspiration to kind of be like this, even whether you're white, black, whatever you look like, um, and kind of just talk about the main people that started to shake up my sheltered reality. Um, So the first people were my aunt and uncle, and then my brother, and then obviously some of my black friends, and then working in restaurants for so many years in my hometown, and then in Louisville with diverse staff and then my African-American history class in college. Um, But I'll just dive deeply into the first two since they were the first to kind of like get my brain thinking in a different way and kind of ignite my passion. So first with my aunt and uncle, they actually fostered a black boy from a local orphanage for a plethora of years since his mom had fallen on bad times. Um, It was honestly uncomfortable because this was the first black person that I had ever shared a meal with in my entire life. But no one ever sat us down as kids and were like, hey kids, this is what racism is. This is what microaggressions are, etc." Like our parents obviously told us to make him feel like part of the family, but how do you make a shy young black child with family issues feel welcome in a room full of 40 white people unless you truly tell us about our white privilege. Like, he had to have feel, felt so out of place with us. And I was extremely, extremely young and don't remember anyone saying anything harmful to him, but it had to hurt for him to watch us be so happy-go-lucky on Christmas Eve when he didn't even know if his mom was okay that day. And like, it honestly breaks my heart. Like. I ended up volunteering at that orphanage in high school and my entire perspective on my life completely changed. Like, especially as kids would literally ask me like, Miss Courtney, can I come home with you? And it truly broke my damn heart. Like, although my parents are divorced, I'm so, so lucky to have both of them in my life. 
And although my Aunt Joan, who fostered him, is no longer with us to this day, I can honestly truly thank her for expanding my world at, at such a young age and sparking this empathy within me for disadvantaged youth and minorities in this country. But it was such an eye opener. I can imagine. Yeah. I'm sorry about your aunt. Thank you. I appreciate that. I really do. And how's awesome. your how's the boy doing? He is now, oh gosh, how old is he now? So he was older than me. At the time I was maybe the first time I met him, I was maybe six or seven. I would say maybe seven. Yeah, probably more of seven. And he was about four years older than me. So I'm 27 now. So he's like 31, 32. They hadn't seen him after the age of about mid-20s. So once he was kind of off on his own, and then my Aunt Joan died about um, five years ago. So honestly, I don't know how he's doing, but I assume that he at least is doing better than he would have been if he was just stuck in that orphanage and foster oh, home. Of course. You yes, know what I mean? Yes. Even though he was stuck with all of us crazy white people, I... At least he had a home. Yes, exactly. Like, because that orphanage, after volunteering there, like, that is not a... That is not really a place for a child to be. Like, they do not get the attention and love they deserve at all. And then, since you brought up my brother, I figured I would also talk about this a little bit because um, he has been a true inspiration to me my entire life. Like, I honestly cry just thinking about this because selfless doesn't really even begin to describe him. Like, just like me, he is white as hell, but (laughs) like very white. Like, we are like... German, Dutch, French, whatever. And we're even blessed to even be able to trace our ancestry, which a lot of people take for granted. But yeah, we are white as hell, but he does his best to fight for people whose voices have been previously muted by white people's voices. Um, so he lives in the north side of Cincinnati where he has a plethora of Native American friends and they love him so much that he is wholeheartedly welcomed into their spiritual ceremonies, their sweat lodges, their family gatherings, like you name it. Like my biggest wake up call to this day was when he he went out to the Dakotas to protest the Dakota Access Pipeline. Like this man camped out there in the freezing weather to help natives that were forced off of their own land. Like I really don't think a lot of America is in tune with what happened and still happens to Native Americans in this country to this day. Like my family particularly started calling Thanksgiving Famsgiving a few (laughs) years back. All thanks to him since he really opened our eyes and a lot of Americans still think that white people got here to America made a meal with Native Americans and then Native Americans were all just like okay yeah see ya we'll give you our land and disappear bye like it's mind boggling to me so like it was yes and that most people don't realize that all of our education has been whitewashed and they really don't take the time to go out of their comfort zone and research those things. They just take everything for face value. 
which we all have to start learning that we cannot trust our basic education. We really can. But shout out to your brother, man. One day I'm hoping he can come on my on my on my platform because I'm hearing good things about this guy. <laughs> yes, you would love him. Like he seriously was the first one to instill in me that society cannot change until you start to care about issues that do not affect you directly. He is amazing. Amen. And the thing is with all this, I get some people are sheltered, some people you don't have to know, but right now it's all over the news for you to also sit quiet and not even try to learn or understand or be as supportive. That's just on you. Because we are, we are, as you say, it took you a while and you changed. It's the part that you're willing to change and willing to learn and willing to know that you really are privileged and some people are not and stand up for those people. That's all that matters. Amen, girl. For real. <clears throat> so I could kind of go on about the various <laughs> reasons that I ended up shattering this like sheltered life, but if it weren't for those family members, I may have never even had my other experiences. Like I decided to move to Louisville to kind of experience more diversity than Cincinnati because Cincinnati's more of like a white German Catholic area. Um, so with Louisville, I made more like black friends and all kinds of other friends. And then just making various diverse friends at restaurants I worked in, or I may have never even ended up taking an African-American history class in college where I was one of six white people, and by the way, that was the first time that I was ever a minority for that long in one place. Like, that says a lot. Um, it really does, and so many, like, that class brought me out of my comfort zone. Like, so many days just waiting to see what will come out of some people's mouth was honestly uh, very interesting, to say the least, out of white people's mouth, by the way. Um, but <laughs> I cannot imagine. Real. I cannot imagine. Yeah, it's like for real. Like that class was the first time that I was even taught that every black person in America isn't African American. Like I was told my whole life by teachers that African American is quote unquote more respectful when that's not true. Like black is just as normal to say as white and not every black person is an african-american like just say black with a capital b and say it proud Amen. so we have a lot of work to we do, sure do. <laughs> thank you 2020 uh, for for shedding some light because we needed this right. like i really think that covid was such a catalyst for some of this stuff because there's no sports, there's not as many TV shows coming out with new episodes and people are forced to sit on Facebook and look at people's personal experiences and it just kind of catapults it from there. Yeah, less distractions on <clears throat> on TV and stuff. You can actually pay attention to what's going on in the world because, but now the sports are slowly coming back. So we shall see. I know, it'll be very interesting, that's for sure. <laughs> All right, so I want to talk about my experience at the protest in Quincy. Um, I also did go to another one here in Quincy that was on Wollaston Beach, but the downtown Quincy one was the most impactful for me, and I will tell you why. So I have a little story here. 
Um, on Tuesday, June 2nd, we attended a prayer vigil for victims of police violence in Quincy, Massachusetts, where some say racism all began in America. And that night changed me. 4,500 people, I kid you not, showed up to a prayer vigil that was planned for only a couple hundred people. I honestly debated on keeping my experience private, but comments I kept seeing from white people about protesters made me think I I had to share in order to broaden perspective. So I ended up sharing this experience on Facebook almost a week after that day. Um, and then I didn't really take any photos because I wanted to be present in the moment and experience the whole thing. But I'm really thankful for local photographers who captured the peaceful passion of that night because this vigil that turned into a march of protesting barely even made the local Quincy news oh, wow. because peaceful vigils barely make the news. And we, we really have to keep remembering that, especially as white people, because the minute we see a broken window, people are like, oh my gosh, the protests have to stop. They have to stop. And it's like, okay, we need to cool it. And it's funny because <laughs> even when we, the people were rooting or um, destroying businesses once for those which pictures were available it wasn't even the black people so you're just like okay you see yes but but they don't want to talk about that so oh no they do not they do not which is oh some which we'll get to that (laughs) (laughs) so on tuesday june 2nd which is honestly crazy that this was almost a month ago i'm just now realizing this I right know, now it's almost about um, to be july 2nd right yes which is crazy oh my gosh time has flown this year and then also gone so slow at the same time um but on june 2nd michael my fiance and i parked our car a couple streets over from the vigil here in quincy a black girl our age walked past our car just alone and we caught up with her at the next crosswalk where us three just stood there waiting for the light to change green. She looked over at us and said, safe to assume that you guys are going where I'm going? And we agreed with her. And with tears in her eyes, oh, this is gonna make me cry. She looked at me and said, thank you. And in that moment with our masks on, we forgot about COVID. We forgot that the news is trying to divide us by color. And we just hugged each other and literally cried. Like a complete stranger hugged me when for the last two years, it has been hard to get strangers to simply make eye contact with me up here. Her name is Keo and her energy changed me. Experiencing the vigil through her tears, chants and emotions changed me. What broke me is that she almost didn't even come that day. She was terrified from watching the news The only reason she came was because someday her seven-year-old black son was gonna ask her where she was during all of this. And she couldn't picture herself telling him that she stayed stayed home with a glass of wine that she already poured, no matter how scared she was. Watching her thank a white family for bringing their kids to the prayer vigil honestly broke me. And watching an elderly couple come up to her during the march and say, girl, I've been fighting for you my whole life and I can't believe I still am, changed me. Watching Keo, a young black girl, and this old ass white woman have such a good conversation was so inspiring to me. Chanting, hands up, don't shoot, next to our new friend 
and picturing any of my black friends turning into a simple hashtag literally crushed me. Screaming Breonna Taylor's name while thinking about my black friends living in the same city as those cops who are still employed tore me up. Through our tears of chanting, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter, Keo just stopped, looked at me, cried and said, why do I even have to say this? Like, why? I matter. And that like truly broke me. So like my point in sharing this is that white and black people are both very scared to go to these things because peaceful protests do not make for a juicy news story. And I'm not shaming anyone on either side for being scared because I truly get it and I I really do. I'm just simply hoping that we all have the courage to see these events through another perspective. And you might even leave with a new friend. And don't get me started about the people who care more about the non-peaceful protests and the few broken windows instead of acknowledging the hundreds of peaceful protests happening worldwide. Oh, and if anyone's listening, it's also very therapeutic to scream at cops to give them a little warning to be like, hey, if you mess up, we're going to be out here screaming about you next time. Like, honestly, Paula, I could do a whole nother podcast on my personal awful experience with Louisville cops, but we would need another hour. So anyone who's listening, just trust me when I say a few of those members of the LMPD are completely awful humans. And it's a story that I've really only shared with close friends, but maybe I'll open up about open up about that someday. You're welcome. Anytime you wanna come on my platform and share the story, you're welcome. And that's what I was trying to tell my friend because she kept on saying it starts with the government. I'm like, I get there's also that part of the government. <clears throat> but also it's the normal human beings daily in the street that you see who are treating people badly. They don't need the government to tell them treat black people right. You have to have common sense like we are all human beings. Exactly. Exactly, girl. So I've got a little more here, but just to kind of broaden some people's perspective, um, what's kind of funny is that night, Keo asked me at one point, she was like, hey, I know Boston is kind of like standoffish, but why haven't you two made a lot of friends? Like you seem pretty cool to me because I was telling her how it's just kind of hard to meet people here. And I told her how my job is to just visit appliance stores and Honestly, most of these appliance stores are owned by old white men. And then plus working from my apartment alone on my office days just really isn't the most ideal place to make friends. <laughs> um, and it's expensive to go out here. We love making our own food and stuff. So when we do go out, it's kind of awkward to vibe with someone at a bar and after 30 minutes be like, can I get your number? Like, I honestly feel like I'm dating again and I hate I it. I know, half of the time you vibe at the bar and then you just leave and be like, oh, that was cool. And hopefully maybe you end up finding them on, on social media and whatever, but it's really weird to ask for a number after 20 minutes. Yes, yes, it's so true. Uh, so awkward. And I don't know why I make it awkward. Like, I really shouldn't. <laughs> uh, but... Um, so that night at the end of the protest, she goes, I hate to be awkward, but, and I just straight up interrupted her and said, can I get your number? <laughs> so we 
ended up going to her apartment the weekend after and she threw a little barbecue for us and her friend and we got to meet her mom and her awesome son. He is amazing. I won't say his name just to keep his privacy, but he's the coolest little dude. Um, and I honestly wanted to tear up after a while of us talking that day because I wish a lot of my family members and friends could experience these types of conversations with black people in person that they barely know. Like. We talked about white people, black people, racism, and a bunch of things. And her mom just straight up goes, you know what? I'm glad you all are having these discussions. Like, this is how stuff changed. Like, acknowledging the elephant in the room is how we move forward. Like, her mom told us that she would love to just go introduce herself to her white neighbors, but she's too afraid that they're going to be scared of her or call the cops on her for knocking on their door. And it's important for white people to recognize that fear she has because it's not just her. Like, if you have a new black neighbor in your neighborhood, I really challenge white people to go make the first move. Like, it's awkward putting yourself out there no matter what you or the other person look like, but it's truly worth it. It really is.